Welcome to The Logbook. I'm your host, Lucas Weekly. This episode is supported by you, the listeners, through Patreon. Head over to thelogbookpodcast.com for more information. This time we hear how a hang glider flying club designs and builds an ultralight tow plane, and we'll hear some interesting stories that came with developing it. So we took an existing ultralight, modified the wing, and then since we knew it needed to go slow and climb hard, we put what we call elephant ear flapperons on it. The ailerons go full length of the wing, and they droop the same as flaps would, but they work also as ailerons, and they're 12 inches wide, so they're very large in comparison. Anyway, so that took care of the slow speed maneuverability. The stall speed of the gliders was about 18 miles an hour. And we needed to tow somewhere between 30 to 35, not to overspeed the gliders. So at that time, the stall speed of ultralights was about 30 to 35. So the top speed of the hang glider was about the stall speed of the ultralight. So we needed to slow it down. So we modified the wing and then um, put a toe attachment to the back end of the, of the ultralight that was a V. So the hang glider could move up or down on the toe point and not affect the ultralight as much. Um, and it worked. Stall speed's about 18 to 20, and the climb rate towing a hang glider was still over 600 foot a minute with the existing motors. It was so important to figure out how to tow a hang glider because here in Florida, there aren't any hills. Yes, a winch works, but a winch isn't able to bring a hang glider pilot thousands of feet up in the air right above the perfect thermal. Also, towing a hang glider with a powered airplane had actually never been done before. So it was a pretty big deal to develop a system to solve this problem. So after that, we um, we flew for about a year. And you know how it all comes about. You sit down after flying and say, mm, you know, if I did this, it would be better. And if I did that, it would make it climb more. And And after about a year, we had a good idea about what it would take to manufacture a complete aircraft to tow hang gliders. And the same guy, the guy who was working at an ultralight manufacturing plant, was able to move, move around whenever he wanted to. And, and we hooked him up with an Australian hang gliding manufacturer. And he went to Australia and put together the first prototype, which was a combination of all these things we talked about. And then came back with a prototype um, that the Australian hang glider manufacturer actually paid for the first one. Worked very well. Everybody liked it. Then we as a club started manufacturing our own. We made two. That comes to the first three-axis story. I had no three-axis training. I had only flown hang gliders. A three-axis airplane, meaning roll, pitch, and yaw axes, controlled by a stick, in this case for the aileron and elevators, and pedals to control the rudder. We needed more tow pilots to fly the aircraft. 
but we only had a single-seat aircraft. So I learned how to fly in our original tow plane, and I, I went out and did hops down the runway until I felt like I could take off and land. Oh, and by the way, the plane is a tail dragger, and our storyteller had never flown or landed a plane before. And then I took off. It was about three weekends of hopping, and I just took off. I flew one day. The next day, I towed a hang glider. Um, and I'm still here to talk about it. There was no real incident. You know, it was uh, uh, the only real problem with towing, as sailplane tow pilots can tell you, is that you're at the edge of a stall. You're always holding the airplane there. And so learning not to stall the aircraft, to go fast enough to keep it flying, but slow enough so the hang glider wasn't overstressed, um, was interesting to begin with. At that time, hang gliders and, and ultralights were made with sailboat, sailcloth, and, and we didn't actually paint them. They did sometimes put a clear coat on to help them, but, but most of the time the sailcloth lasted a couple, three, four years, no problem. Well, this plane was used every weekend both days on the weekend and sometimes a couple of days during the week because we had a large contingent of people that would fly. So this airplane was left out a lot. Just as an understanding, we didn't fly at airports. We had a big cow pasture that you could turn any direction and fly into the wind. And it didn't take a lot to get off. And so we would fly out of the cow pasture that the owner of the field had no problem with us in. We uh, were in the cow pasture. We'd spend the weekend there, camp, and the Sunday, one of the other tug pilots had taken the plane up in the morning to test it out. Everything was fine. He came down and said, Steve, you know, just over on the road over there, there must be a hundred bicyclists. You ought to go up and look. So I took off and flew to, oh, I don't know, 1,500 foot, pulled the motor back, was looking over the edge of the plane at the bicyclist and the plane kind of shuddered for a minute and then fell off on one wing into a spiral. Well, I had the motor at idle, so I kind of accelerated the motor a little bit and, and tried to cross control to bring the plane back up. Nothing happened. The spiral just got a little bit tighter when I accelerated. So I continued to try and cross control and bring the plane back up and nothing would happen. By now I'm down to about 800 foot and I'm getting worried that, that you know, I can't land in a turn. I'm going to break the plane, just no way. So we had parachutes, ballistic parachutes on the plane to protect us. So I reached up, grabbed the, the arm and pulled Nothing happened. Now I'm down to 600 foot and, and I'm looking, there's trees underneath me and, and I can't go straight enough to get away from them. So now I'm really concerned and I reached up and grabbed the, the deployment handle again. And when I pulled it, I guess I was uh, concerned enough that I broke the cable. I ripped it out of the housing but still the parachute did not deploy. Luckily, I, during all of this, had not turned the motor off. And now I'm down to 400 foot 
Well, the other thing that I didn't say earlier was that as tow pilots, a lot of times you will spiral or spin the airplane down to get back to tow again quickly. So now I'm um, a couple miles away from where I should be. Nobody would have thought it was odd for me to be spiraling in the air. So no one would have known that I was in trouble. And I decided that, well, the only option that I have is to try and get the wing up. So I cross-controlled while accelerating. And I would accelerate and cross-control really hard. And, and I noticed that the wing came up some. So I accelerated harder at the same time I cross-controlled. Finally, the wing came straight and I landed straight ahead inside a fence line on a little peninsula of a pond. It was all that was there. I just landed. And I got out and looked at the aircraft and found that the sail had ripped up three of the battens. And at the end of the trailing edge of the wing, we had a stiffener that would hold the wing at a certain attitude. Well, when the battens ripped, it allowed that stiffener to turn up and it acted just like a spoiler. And that was holding that wing back. And, and I had to either walk back the couple miles and get the guys to come and help me get the airplane out of there. Or I had to figure a way to fly the airplane again. So I pulled the stiffener back into place and, and got to the far side of the peninsula knowing the aircraft, if it flew, would jump the fence, no problem. You know, it takes off at 18. So I accelerated, got just high enough to get over the fence, and then got back down and taxied through the woods. Now, remember, I'm a couple miles away, so I, um, I jump fences. I fly it just enough to get above the fences, and and then slow down and taxi through the tree line. And then, so there's about four fences I had to jump and um, got all the way back to where I needed to be. That afternoon, we took the wing off another airplane. We had two, remember, this was the second prototype. We also had four motors because, again, the motors would seize at the less opportune time. So... We always had a spare motor, but we didn't always have a spare airplane. So we took the wing off the airplane that the motor was broken on, put it on the airplane that the motor was good because it was quicker to do that than to change the motor. And in that afternoon, we were flying again. We were the originators of towing with aircraft hang gliders in the U.S. And so we would um, put on meets. And they became international. We had the best hang glider pilots from all around the world coming to fly at our meets. And a couple of um, narrow escapes happened during those tow periods. We would have a hundred hang gliders on the ground. And the tasks that were set forth for them was normally an out and back because it was the hardest to do in Florida over flatline. And so the period in which the hang glider took off was very important. They needed to have enough time in the air without the sky overdeveloping to get out and back. 
So as soon as the sky developed enough for them to stay up, they wanted to be in the air. Well, with seven aircraft and a hundred hang gliders on the ground, we needed to get in the air and back down as soon as possible to get the next. Typically, we would tow a hundred toes in an hour to an hour and 15 minutes with seven aircraft. Um, and we would tow to 2,000 foot and release. But naturally, once you find the thermal that's large enough to hold a couple hang gliders, everybody wants to be in the same place. Every hang glider wants to be in the same thermal with the best pilots. So even if they're not really good pilots, they can learn by watching and trailing the other hang glider pilots. Um, well, what that means is that you may have one thermal with 60 hang gliders thermaling in the same thermal. And they're all supposed to thermal the same direction, but when you let them off, they're not always going the same way. And a lot of times the lesser pilots will start falling out before the others. So you may have a, a stack of hang gliders anywhere from a thousand foot to 4,000 foot. And you're supposed to tow to 2,000 foot. So everybody gets the same chance, but they want to be plugged into the same thermal. So that means you have to fly the tow plane through the gaggle safely. And it also means that you're towing 200 foot of line behind you through the gaggle. That in itself gets interesting. But again, we have seven aircraft. So it also means that you have more than one aircraft in the same gaggle at the same time. So, so the staging of when you go in and where you go in gets to be really important. And, and there are also the better tow pilots that like to play because all they're doing is working, towing up, going back down, towing up. And remember now, we have 200 foot of line behind the plane. So if you're the first person in, in that group that goes through the thermal, you go out the other side, you're very cautious about where your line is to make sure no hang gliders are around and then you start diving back to the ground, well, the next tug pilot, if he can see you, dives over the top of you, dragging his line. And then it becomes a game of who can dive the fastest so that the next line doesn't drag over your aircraft. And sometimes you don't always make it. Sometimes the, uh, the tow line actually hits your aircraft or pulls over a wing, and then you have to worry about it it getting hung up in the aircraft. And this one particular day, I was first in the thermal, had dove out, and for some reason, I didn't immediately start diving to the ground. I turned back to look at the gaggle, only to see the ring of another tow line coming directly at my face. Now, remember, these aircraft are pusher aircraft, so the prop's still in back of me. Even though the ring is coming at my face, 
I'm not worried about that. I can get out of the way of the ring, but can I move fast enough to make sure that ring doesn't hit the prop? I did exactly how I did it. I don't know. I don't know. I I pushed the stick as far forward as I could and immediately turned the wing up so that the plane was spiraling, hoping that if anything hit, the wing would hit it and deflect the, the ring of the of the tow line. And and I never saw where it hit, if it did, and it didn't get caught in the prop, so everything was good. And again, you know, back then we we didn't know what we didn't know. And so we would do things like that, not knowing just how dangerous it was. The uh, the planes are really so maneuverable because of the design. But the uh, aircraft that we used hasn't really changed much since the prototypes that we changed from the original planes. One of the things we have done is to use a little bit larger motors. And the uh, those motors are... Um, now four cycle instead of two cycle naturally have had a whole lot more testing on them they don't blow up as readily and um, we don't have engine outs in bad places that we used to we now have sites that we fly that are large enough so that it's not a problem to get in and out of and um, so you circle over that site anyway because that's where they're going to land if they fall out, which allows you to always land back if you have an engine out at the airport. So it's not as dangerous as it was when we first started to do that. But because of of hang gliding and me learning how to fly the tug, I decided that I was going to build my own and decided some of the changes I wanted to make because of being around regular aircraft. I would first have regular aircraft sailcloth instead of the sails for hang gliders that were sewn, or center of lift on the, um, on the wing, that it'll pick up the tail by itself. So some of the GA pilots had flown and had put the plane on its nose because they had pushed too hard forward and raised the tail. Remember, we made the tail very large as to overcome the stress that a hang glider could put on it so he couldn't over control you. And although I did originally build my aircraft with aluminum as the front of the fuselage, I saw some of the damage done to the front end of the plane. Well, I then changed my fuselage to chrome molly so that if it ever were to go over on the nose, it wouldn't break. You know, it just go over on the nose. It was it was fun. Steve Flynn lives at an air ranch in Bushnell, Florida, and he still enjoys building airplanes today. He owns a Skybolt, a Cetabria, the Tug from the Stories, and a few other airplanes that are in different stages of repair and construction. And Steve volunteers a lot in aviation. He's hosted several EAA Young Eagles flights in his hangar for the local communities. 
You can see pictures of Steve's airplanes, the tug, and his other projects, as well as more information about these stories by going to the article at thelogbookpodcast.com. Steve shared way more stories about hang gliding and towing that could ever fit in this episode, so if you can't get enough of these stories, you should check out our Patreon page and consider supporting. There you can have access to unedited interviews, sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, and even listen to finished episodes a week before they're released. This podcast isn't free to produce, and your support over on Patreon is what makes this show possible and ad-free. Please consider supporting us. Any amount is helpful. Even $1 per episode can help make the show better. You can check out our Patreon page by going to patreon.com slash thelogbookpodcast, or by clicking on the orange banner in our website. Also, don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps bring awareness to the logbook. If you have a story about anything in aviation, we would love to hear it, and it may even become an episode of The Logbook. You can send us an email by using the contact page on our website. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in The Logbook. Thank you.